generations of young uh, kids today are a lot more cynical than, than my generation were, which is hard to imagine anyone being more cynical than us. But um, you know, don't follow your leader, that's a bad idea. Um, but of course, we're all missing some big point, aren't we? In fact, actually the real person to follow is just lost in all these other follows, all these other clicks, um, all these other signs. Uh, and the, 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 the voice of Jesus saying, follow me, is actually getting quite hummed out. Um, so when we think about following and all that kind of stuff, my question to you is, who do you follow? And for all of us, that, was, that phrase, that single phrase, is going to mean many different things. So for some of you, when I say, who do you follow, it's going to be some celebrity or somebody you know on YouTube or Snapchat or Twitter. For others of us, it's going to be a football club, apparently. People follow football. Uh, or cricket. It could be cricket. Terrible sport. Um, I think it was invented by the French, but I'm not sure. Uh, uh, you, you, might, you, know, you could follow all sorts of different things. But who do you follow? Now, for some of us, it'll be your first thing in your mind might be a person. And who that person is will depend possibly on your generation, where you're from, um, and things like that. I know the easy answer is Jesus. For many of us here, we'd say, I follow Jesus. But actually, it's not as simple as that in our very crowded, clouded uh, society. These are some examples of people who've tried to um, use Google Translate, I assume, to um, put on their shop signs. I particularly like the car rental brochure from Tokyo. When a passenger of a foot heave in sight, tootle the horn. Trumpet him melodiously at first, but if he still obstacles your passage, then tootle him with vigor. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you actually try to follow that, that instruction, you would be, um, well, it'd be a, actually, I think life would be quite fun, wouldn't you think? That is actually quite a fun thing to do. Um, so, it's really important who you follow. Really, really important who you follow. And so, obviously, we want to follow the experts, don't we? Because they seem to know what to do. So, this. You um, know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Yeah. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to Camels for the next 30 days and see what a difference it makes in your smoking enjoyment? Lady. See how camels agree with your throat. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be. So, you can't believe everybody, can you? I mean, take the doctor's advice um, 50 years ago, and you'd have a problem now, wouldn't you? And I'm sure, I don't know if any of you, I'm sure none of you remember that advert. Um, but that was a whole marketing campaign by Camel. More doctors smoke Camel than any other doctor. I mean. That could mean only three doctors smoke, you know. But uh, who you follow is really important because who you follow could be leading you 
down the proverbial garden path, leading you somewhere where you actually, ultimately, you don't want to go. Uh, alternatively, they could lead you to somewhere where you really, 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 really want to go. Um, all right, so, but actually, I'm more interested, and I think you should be more interested, in who is following you. Who is following you? And uh, so I'm going to turn now to um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Could you do that too? Ah, there you go. It's on the board if you don't want to um, do it, but uh, different translations, uh, you might have a favorite translation you want to use. So, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 8. It's a, uh, those of you who've been around the church for a long time, it may be familiar to you. Well, it should be familiar to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words are probably very familiar to you. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, the people that this was spoken to are the Israelites, and the person who said it was a man called Moses. And uh, if you go go to um, uh, a traditional Jewish home today, you'll walk through a doorway that's got a piece of the Old Testament on it, a piece of the Torah, in a little box pinned to the side of the wall. And the men, at certain times of the year and certain festivals, they'll have little boxes tied to their hands and foreheads called phylacteries, which also contain parts of the Torah and contain some of these words up here. They've taken them really literally. And a traditional Jewish um, lunch, uh, dinner, uh, particularly at the Passover time once a year when they celebrate their um, escape from Egypt, uh, the children have to ask the mother... Why are we celebrating this great feast? And the mother will say things like, well, I'm glad you you asked me that. And they'll tell them the whole story about the Exodus all over again. And they'll recount the stories of how God was faithful to them. And not just faithful, but incredibly impressive with his um, miracles and uh, ways in which he, he rescued them. And that is one way of interpreting the passage. One way of acting it out. Uh, it's not necessarily a wrong way of acting out. But if you look, the first thing it says is, um, really is to impress them on your hearts, to write them on your hearts, to have these values in you. And, and, and then the next instruction is to impress them on your children. Now, it's very tempting sometimes, I know, to get your child, push them on the floor, and then, you know, impress upon them, you know, the great big stamp, you know, uh, kind of thing. But that's not really what it means either. What it means is for your kids to be totally without um, any confusion about what the commands of the Lord are. Now, actually, Moses has just um, actually... It's a really interesting... Deuteronomy is a um, very, very repetitive book of the Bible. Almost boring if you read it, but if you speak it out, you get a sense of why it's repetitive. 
there are themes, and there are introductions to the themes, and he keeps reminding people. It's a verbal, it's a, it's a record of an, the most, well, a really, a pretty long preach, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah. So, what's happened is that Moses has just spent a lot of time reminding everybody about where they've just come from, from Egypt, how they've been walking around the desert. God has uh, made sure their shoes don't wear out and their clothes don't wear out. But they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years because they didn't go into the promised land when they should have done 40 years ago because they were too chicken. And now they're back at that moment and they're about to start the new project, the promised land, part two. You know, restart, reboot, promised land. And um, Moses has got the whole, whole of the Israelites assembled before him. Everybody's there. It's a couple of million people. And uh, he's, he's saying, this, the whole of Deuteronomy is, this is our new nation. We are now nation building. We've been wandering around the desert like a bunch of nomads, but now we are going to be building a new nation. At, and you know and I know the future of any nation are the children. And when he's speaking to this crowd, he's speaking to those who've had children but don't have children anymore. He's speaking to people who don't have children. He's speaking to people who've never had children, who never will have children. He's speaking to the whole community. Everybody in this crowd is... Am I falling off? Uh, Everybody in this crowd is responsible for the children. He's not saying, take these commands I give to you today, and particularly the parents in the audience... I want you to impose these things or impress these things on your children. He doesn't say that. He's speaking to the whole assembly. And my point for today really is you're all responsible. And Meg said to me, well, you would say that. You're the new youth leader. Well, yes, I need all the help I can get. Of course we do. But that's the very, very deep point here. And from this point on, you can turn off if you want to because I'm just going to unpack it. We are all responsible Every one of us, old, young, single, married, childless, or with children, it doesn't matter. We have all got a role to play uh, in raising our children and our young people. And for some of you here, I am like a child. I may be 40 years younger than you. For some of you, I'm 40 years older than some of you. Uh, so we are all also children. We are all people who, you know, who need to follow and be followed. And so, um, this is kind of like that Geronimo moment for Israel. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're just rushing out the door to go somewhere, and your mum says, but what about your keys? Oh, yeah. And you're just back at the door. What about your shoes? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, what about your jacket? And every time you kind of go over the edge, mum's just calling you back with one more thing that you've forgotten. Yeah? Familiar? This is a bit like this. They're all ready to go. They want to go launching across this, uh, the Jordan River, into the Promised Land, really excited to go. And Moses says, whoa, before you go, before you go, think about this. And then he, he reads the Ten Commandments that were given them on the tablets. And then he says this, and then he unpacks the Ten Commandments. And he goes through lots of different ideas of how you might actually implement the Ten Commandments. But basically, the Ten Commandments. Um, and then he spends a bit of time saying to them, and you're not worthy. You're going to mess up. 
God's not doing this because you're amazing. Quite the opposite. He's using you because he knows you're not amazing. And he's God. And he wants everyone to know it's because of him. And so you're off the hook too because you're not amazing. Uh, and my kids know from this point on, they're going to hear all my hypocrisy coming out. It's like, Dad, should be like this. And rah, rah, rah. you know, my kids see me every day and they see me stub my toe and get grumpy and stuff like that. You know, we are all your earthly vessels, but God is calling us to something higher. So, uh, clicking. So, um, the old hippies amongst you might remember this uh, song. Still some that. Even you know, the Crosby, Stills, Nash, hippies and stuff, they knew about our stuff. And then you saw the other slide from some kind of mystic site um, about, it's like really obvious, isn't it? You don't have to be uh, um, a parenting expert to know that your kids, um, whether they're your kids or not, the kids that are around you will be are watching you and observing you all the time. And in fact, we're observing and watching each other all the time. People who are older than me, older than me, I look to. I look for them to guide me and to give them things. And yet, as Christians, we do get accused, quite rightly sometimes, of basically telling the people to do as we say and not as we do. And uh, this uh, particular one is the most hard-hitting one here. You are what you do, not what you say. And when you pass away, when when people have a, you know, celebrate your going and have a big... uh, Shindig, I'm sure that big party when I go. Uh, phew, thank goodness he's gone or something. But they won't be saying, oh, Tim said he was amazing at ping pong. Tim said that he was great at, uh, I know, jokes. Uh, Tim, Tim said that he was really kind. Tim said he was particularly nice to cats. They won't say that. No, no, no. They'll say what you were. They'll describe who you were. And it's good to talk about what you want to be. But ultimately, you are what you do. And if you, if you gossip, you gossip. You are a gossip kind of thing. Um, and as education experts have long known that do as I say, not as I do, is not an effective way of teaching anything. It's actually funny, funny thing. It's one of my things my dad said the most. <laughs> he was a great guy. But <laughs> I said, Dad, what are you doing that? You told me not to. And he'd be saying, do as I say, not as I do. Um, great guy but remember what the doctor said but uh, there you go um, this is what we have to put up with now I'm, I'm at the moment my role at, in, in this next sort of 20 or so minutes is to be a preacher but you are also preachers 
If you're a believer in the Lord, if you're a believer, then you are a preacher. Everywhere you go, you're the Bible. People see you and they see the Bible. And so if you're saying one thing and doing another, you're like the doctor who says you need this cure but takes another cure. If you're saying, um, you know, lean on the Lord, you know, throw all your troubles on him, uh, but when you get stressed, I don't know, you, you choose some other kind of um, relief for your stress. Um, I know, driving fast because you're late, it's one of my <laughs> constant problems. Um, or it could be like, you know, turn into the fridge to, for a bit of comfort. It could be turn into the internet for a bit of comfort. It could be turn into social media for a bit of comfort. Whatever it could be. Uh, it might even be phoning up um, somebody you know who's going to be say nice things to you. And there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong in all, any of those things. But self-medicating on those comforty things before we meet the Lord, when, we, when at the same time we're saying, lean on the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and yet we're not doing that, then we are, you know, there's an old hard word, isn't it, that goes with that, it's called hypocrites, but I think it's a bit tough. I think we're all um, struggle with realities. But instead, what we're told to do is imitate. And uh, here's a bunch of things uh, from the New Testament, different verses uh, that Ed showed me, because he's got a bigger search engine than I have. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, you, you only have to type in the word imitate or example uh, for a few minutes, and you can see the New Testament is full of this. And I remember reading Paul saying, imitate me, and I was a little bit shocked. I thought, how arrogant. Um, but he had a point, didn't he? And when you think about uh, the disciples and what they did, we yeah, try and imitate what they did, because ultimately we're trying to imitate Jesus and be like him. Uh, this Philippians 3.17 one is a, a favorite of mine. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So we're actually being encouraged to look to people who are following after the Lord and use them as an example. That's okay. Um, great having Karis here, Open Doors. Brother Andrew, who's the founder of, of Open Doors, is one of my heroes. Uh, Big-time hero. But my dad, when we lived in Kuwait, um, was all, just read the book God's Smuggler, which Brother Andrew written. And he was inspired by Brother Andrew so much that he decided to not sell his Volkswagen Beetle. And so when we, met, when we moved back to England, we had to drive in a Volkswagen Beetle all the way back to um, England. I don't know if you can imagine that on a map. That's quite a route. Um, and it was me and my brother, who was, I was three, my brother was ten, my mum and my dad, and an Indian friend, uh, Johnny, who wanted to go to university in England. So it was like five people in a Volkswagen Beetle. And I, and I mean the old Beetles, not the new ones, you know. So we've got these particular models on. We need to be imitators, and we need to be aware that people are imitating us. Um, let's look at, um, going back to Moses, um, Joshua... Moses is also about to tell people, he hasn't told them yet at this stage in Deuteronomy, but he's about to tell them, and I'm not going with you. Joshua is going in my place. God's told him that he's not going into the promised land. And so 40 years, well, before, more longer than that, Moses has been helping him. He's got this great big stake rod, and when he touches the water, it parts, and when he does this, things happen, there's a cloud, and there's fire, and all these kind of weird things go wrong along when Moses is around. And then Moses comes out of these tents and says things, uh, that are the voice of God. And yet Moses isn't going with them. 
I'm not going. Sorry, guys. But Joshua is. But that's okay. We read in um, Exodus 33, verse 11, he says this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. It's a lovely verse. It's one of my favorite verses. You've got this picture of Moses going backwards and forwards, hearing God, going back to the, to the people, telling them what's, what's been going on. But Joshua stays. He can't leave the Lord's presence. He just stays in the Lord's presence all the time. And so when it's time for him to take the leadership, he knows what to do. It comes easy to him. What about the disciples chosen by Jesus? The role of a disciple in the first, for any rabbi, uh, to, uh, any disciple to any rabbi in the first century was to copy everything they did. They'd even follow them to the toilet because they wanted to know exactly, they didn't want any moment when you weren't with the disciple, with the, with, the, with the rabbi. You want to know everything about them. And the idea was then that you would then go off and be one of, when that rabbi died, you would then all disperse and be little one of, you know, little, uh, if your rabbi was called Fred, then you'd all go off and be little Fred's. Or, if you were a follower of Christ, you'd be a little Christ, Christian. So, the disciples spent three years imbibing, marinating in in the Lord, watching his every move, confused a lot of the time, perplexed a lot of the time. But there, and then when it was their turn to go off and do the stuff, off they went. They watched and they followed him and they learned from him. And when the Holy Spirit came on them, The final key in their equipment came. Um, uh, But you know what? One of my other favorite parts, well, I've got lots of favorite parts, I'm sure you have, but the road to Emmaus, after after Jesus has died and he's resurrected, there's a couple of disciples walking walking away from Jerusalem. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. And they meet the stranger. And the stranger says, what's going on? He said, where have you been? There's this guy who was an amazing prophet. Some said he was the Messiah, but he got murdered by the authorities. And then some people are saying he's risen from the dead. And so then the stranger, it was Jesus all along. He began to tell him all about himself through the prophets and the Psalms and all that stuff. Now, when he reveals himself to it, he reveals himself to them uh, when they broke the bread and opened the wine. He then disappeared. But what they don't do is say, oh, do you remember that bit when he said, do, 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 do? do you remember that bit when he said, do, do, do? no, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? There was something about him, who he was, his very presence, and yes, his words were amazing, but there was something about him that was amazing. Now, you might be familiar with some of this stuff about communication, only 7% of communication is verbal. This has been debunked, by the way, uh, in recent years because it it was research done about how we portray emotions, not information as such. But it still kind of holds quite a lot of water. That what we do is far more powerful than what we say. Now, obviously, words do hurt, and words can build up, and words can encourage. But what we do on a day-to-day basis, who people see us as, is the most powerful message that we've got. Um, There's no point telling people that Jesus is love when we are unloving. That Jesus is strong uh, and can help your every need when you go into uh, a panic every time something happens. You may well also be very familiar with this poem. 
uh, by Dorothy Law or not. You might see it on fridges and kitchens all over the world. And as you just quickly scan through it, it's basically children will become what they live with. What they marinate in is what they will become. So if they live in a fearful home, they're going to become fearful. But if they live with sharing, they'll learn to be generous. If they live with honesty, they'll learn truthfulness. If they live with fairness, they'll learn justice. And if children live with kindness and consideration, they'll learn respect. This is just a poem, somebody's opinion. But I think many of us will recognize this as truth. Much of it is true. Um, Kids will do and see They'll become what they see. And I'm, I'm a product, you're a product of the environment you've grown up in, the world that you've marinated in. And sometimes we have to overcome that world. And Christ is the overcomer in us. He enables us to overcome. Um, but wouldn't it be great if um, we understood and we were hyper-aware and intentional about the way we enabled young people to grow in the love of God? The reason I put this up is because Moses and Deuteronomy is really long. Jesus reduces the whole burden down to just a couple of sentences. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. One command he gives us, love one another. Now, that's not hard, is it? That's not making sure you're not sewing an old piece of cloth onto a new piece of cloth. It's not whether you're using the right kind of um, farming implement to do something. It's not super complicated. You can do that. Even I can do that. I can love. When the Lord says, I want you to be an example, imitate me, I imitate love. Wow. Even I can do that. Um, in other words, keep calm and lead by example. It really is not that hard. And uh, I really want to encourage you and bless you and say, let's, if, if our children see us being loving to one another, then they'll become loving. If they see us fighting amongst each other, then they won't become loving. P- potentially. And it's not as straightforward as that, is it? I can think of lots of examples where it hasn't quite happened quite like that. But leading by example, intentional living as, Christ, as Christians, how simple could that be? Um, uh, one of my favorites uh, of life was a lady called Edie Cox. She'd been a midwife uh, in Somerset, most of her working life. And that involved cycling around the villages and, you know, back in the uh, war years and, and back into the 50s. And when I met Edie Cox, she was... Um, a retired elderly lady, and she was telling me about the times when the church uh, was on the hill opposite the pub, and they'd come out of a service, and they'd all go into the pub. Now, these were the brethren. I don't know if you know anything much about the brethren, but um, they're quite stern and, um, you know, lots of rules and stuff, but they would launch themselves into the pub and, and preach the gospel in the pub. Um, and she'd tell me about all the different things that she did. And she'd, she'd, you know you're in trouble by Edie's voice. She'd say, Timothy, I'd like to have a word with you. I'd go, oh, no, I'm in trouble with Edie. You know, and Edie said, 
I think you're doing very well, but you need to speak up. Oh, okay, Eddie. Right now, she remains. But she's so loving with what she said and what she did. And I'm sure you, a lot of you know people who uh, have grown, uh, you know, use their age in a really wise and loving way. And uh, when she passed away, when she was quite keen to go back to glory, she sort of kept saying in latter years, I just want to go home. I'm ready to go home. And when she did pass away, she passed for us with a lot, a lot of joy. We're so pleased and blessed for her. But obviously, we were, we were sad for our loss. And uh, she passed away um, the day before I had a, uh, a big barbecue on the beach with all the young people from, my, from our youth church. We were all down on the beach. And these are all kids who I didn't know, had, who I didn't realize had anything to do with Edie. And I stood up and I said, hey guys, um, I know you don't know Edie, because um, you're young and you wouldn't have spent any time knowing Edie, but I just want to say thank you to God for Edie. And I, I said a few things about how wonderful she was. At that point, one of, the other young, one of the young people said, well, I remember Edie when she did this. And before we knew it, about a bunch of the guys were just talking about how wonderful Edie had been to them and how much they respected and loved her and how much they taught her in the faith. It was so easy um, to be loving. Now, Eugene Peterson, um, in his um, uh, translation of Deuteronomy 6, uh, puts it like this. Write these commands that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Get it inside you and get it inside your children. I, I really love that song, Alan, that you, we sang at the end, because that's really a description of Deuteronomy 6. I think, is it down here somewhere? Yeah, here it is. Um, I'll put it back, don't worry. Um, God in my living, there in my breathing, God in my walking, God in my sleeping, God in my resting, there in my working, God in my thinking, God in my speaking, God, in my hoping, in my dreaming, my watching, my waiting, my laughing, my weeping, my hurting, my healing, be my everything. And so, that's how easy it is to change the future. If you're worried about this nation, if you're worried about where we're going to go, you're worried about Donald Trump's going to you know, start World War Three, or, you know... We're living in a world, world that's really, really dangerous at times. It can be very scary. But if we all took our own role, we took our own part, we can shape the future. It may not be our future, but it will be the future. When I grow up, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a famous musician. Everyone will want to listen to the songs that I've written. Or maybe your wish is to simply marry a prince, to be that princess bride, starry-eyed, admired from people far and wide. We all have heroes, right? People we look up to, people we want to be, a celebrity. We put their paper posters on our wall. We make them our display pic, our cover photo. Their life becomes our life motto. 
We quote them, retweet them, follow their every move. We would do anything to see them, anything to meet them, anything to be them. When we find that one that captivates us, we get completely obsessed. Like that little girl who wants to be a princess, she needs that princess dress with the heels to match and that magic wand. When her mum asks what she wants to wear to the shops, there's only one thing that she wants. Yeah, she might look ridiculous and people might stare, but does it make sense? She doesn't care. She isn't even phased by what people might think because when you're that crazy about someone or something, you get slightly irrational. Infatuation becomes imitation. Obsession becomes attention to detail. It's like you see that life and you click copy and paste. When people look at you, they see them. They get a taste. You can tell who your hero is because you reflect them the most. You mirror them like a world-class mime. The closer you get to being like them, the more you can boast. I gather that we often people who have fame, money, accomplishments and status. Like all that matters are things that I can gather. The problem is, if everyone's trying to be that person, then all we have is a world full of people, full of themselves. Who's going to help the people who can't help themselves? But what if? What if our hero was completely broke? Nothing to brag about. All that was on their list of accomplishments was list of accomplishments and nothing below. When your hero truly is someone like Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela, it's because you see the good that they've done, giving up the comforts of this world for the needs of some. But speaking of giving up, look at Jesus Christ. He gave his life for the very ones who took his life. Imagine a world where we copied him. What kind of world would that be like to live in? All we need to do is simply look at the man he was. He simply loved people because he simply loved God. He loved the people the people rejected. He spent time with those diseased and infected. He touched them and gave them a sense of dignity and worth. And didn't he forgive people who didn't deserve? If we follow in the footsteps of this incredible man, our feet would be dirty with shoes in our hand. Looking for someone who needs them more, our homes would always have an open door. Imagine this world that's almost difficult to see. A world full of kindness, gentleness, humility. Now imagine if someone reflected you. Would you be proud of the person they're looking up to? If we were the hero to somebody else, what would we see if we honestly took a look at ourselves? Now imagine a church where this was our heart. It would be a masterful, beautiful work of art. Reflecting the one we simply adore, Jesus the only celebrity, and love the goal. Imagine that. So God, we come before you and we seek your face. We realize, Lord, the goal is not to be a good Christian. The goal is not to have a great church. The goal is you. The goal is to follow you, to marinate in you, to have you in our waking and our sleeping and our laughing and in our crying. Lord, to have you as our compass, as our rock, 
the wind in our sails, the one that draws us on. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'll enable us. Enable us to walk after the Master. To be guided by him through the narrow way. And to draw others with us, Lord, to lead, let others lead behind us as we guide them through that narrow way. That we might be the people that bring people to salvation, that might bring salvation to our nation, might bring salvation to our towns and our communities. Let us be followers of you. That others might follow us to you. That others might follow them to you. That others might follow them to you. Send revival, Lord, but start with us. Change us, O Lord. Change us. Let us be an example to our children. Let us be an example to our friends, to our families, to the people around us. Teach us how to fall in love with you and to express love in the way that you express love. Jesus Christ.